when an incredible coach and an incredible player could still be a sore loser and an asshole at the end of the game. It's That's So MLS. <laughs> Your North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Which one would you rather be? The sore loser or the asshole at the end of the game? Uh, I think I think so uh, all four of those qualities are embodied in the same person. They 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 according to Jim Curtin, they contain multitudes. Hey, never nobody ever blamed Jim Curtin of not seeing people as a whole human, a holistic <laughs> being. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the show. Of course, this is a North American soccer podcast. Um, what we are referring to is Jim Curtin, the coach of Philadelphia, his aftermatch comments from CCL action this week, uh, where he kind of called Gabriel Hines out for not, I guess, reluctantly shaking his hand in the first game and then really not wanting to do it in the second game and them having a bit of a, a chat with each other. So I guess, and, the, I guess after the, the first game where we, we, we mentioned last week that they kind of that 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 Philadelphia concacaffed him. Yeah. Um. I guess in Heinz's is estimation in hindsight. Uh, hindsight. Hindsight. Leading into that first game, that they kind of felt that way about. Um, that they kind of felt that way about uh, uh about that first game that 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 perhaps there was gamesmanship. Um, and I thought it was almost strange, you know, after the second leg, where Philadelphia beat Atlanta <laughs> a lot. I have 4-1. I have 4-1, which makes what on aggregate? In my notes, which makes what on aggregate? Um, um, so it's, it was 4-1 on aggregate. So it was 3-0 first game. 3-0 first game. Oh, okay. So this was 1-1. Yeah, yes. The most recent one was the, the tie game, 1-1. Yes. So it's like uh, after a game that was mo- certainly more even – um, in Philadelphia, the, the that opener, it's like apparently there was continued concern about whether or not you know players were quick getting off the field with an injury or whatever. And this is this is unique to me in terms of hearing um, an MLS coach, you know, basically hand wave accusation of this. Like you know, oh, he could say there's games, there's gamesmanship, and maybe he's got a point, but. This this happens in these games. This was Jim Curtin's approach, and mm-hmm. honestly, it's an approach. I mean, like I'm not saying that gamesmanship and diving is good, but I mean, how many times have we said that teams go down to Concacaf naively? Yeah. Um, well, and I I felt like, you know, for a Philadelphia Union side that's pretty, you know, <laughs> versed with staying on their feet. You know, this is not a side that pulls a lot of yellows for embellishment or there's a lot of player fines for or anything like that. But yeah, they have every right to have some gamesmanship about it. What what did Atlanta expect? And it's certainly not something that Atlanta is above doing. In any I don't soccer think game, either team is really an egregious uh, side for it, but... In what... Yeah, like, we, of, of course we talk about it more with CONCACAF, but in what game do you not see players, you know, drag, you know, players drag their feet a little bit when they've got to come off with the substitution in the second half. Like when their team is, when their team has the lead. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that, you know, the refereeing in CONCACAF certainly uh, sometimes leaves a little something to be desired, but again, it's like referees see that like part of the modern game now is actually adding the time back on. So like the time wasting thing, 
you know, I get in certain phases of the game that can be really frustrating. But it is part of managing the game. It's part of slowing things down and not letting your opponent get back into the game. And you can be frustrated by that, but you can also find a way back into the game. You know, like you can also get on with it and find a way. It has to be said as well. It has to be said as well. Atlanta lost by three goals. It's not like, it's not like this was a tight one. Yeah, they didn't they didn't lose by three people falling down <laughs> or not leaving the pitch fast enough. They lost by three goals. And that, dug and themselves a hole and then really couldn't get out of it. And I think Yeah, I, I mean Heinz has every right to be upset that they couldn't play the game that they wanted to play. We're also taking Jim Curtin at his word that this is the conversation that took place, because Gabriel Heinz has really not said much and when True. asked about it was like, I'm just gonna not talk about it. I'll leave the conversation between us. I, obviously, I, I want to clarify that I think that, that like, out-and-out out diving is not ideal and you don't want it. But I think that there is a certain amount of, like, like if you... We unless, don't recommend diving at home. Unless you unless you can point it out and say, this was it, this was it, this is it. It's like, there, is, there are other things that, that you just can't, you know, especially... Yeah, if it's, like, a particular call that then results in a penalty or something, then sure, go to the hilt. But, like... If you just mean generally in the game, you didn't like that. Like, all right, let's play that game. Let's break down all the things that we didn't like about how each other played the game. Yes. Um, and you look at the last play. The last play is Corey Burt absolutely walloping a shot that that uh, that Guzan saves it, it, at point blank range. It's not exactly like they were walking it through the corner, walking it around the corner post. Or walking around the, the, <laughs> the, yeah, the corner flag. Yeah. Yeah. And it, which, again, are all parts of the game that you're allowed to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah. So, anyway. the, so there was that, uh, the great, you know, you want to call out the great uh, left-footed ball from Sosa at the top of the area. Turns He, he turned and ran with it and hit a nice shot. Um, Philadelphia had a chance to hit the crossbar and, and uh, this, the Philadelphia goal was this ridiculous curving shot that found its way across the floor that I thought, or, or a curving cross, which I thought mm-hmm. was tremendous. And that was Shabilko's goal? Yes. Yeah, man, that guy's a goal machine right now. I mean, he was a goal <laughs> machine before, but he is in fine form. That was Shabilko for, from Burke. Burke found it in, with this, with this tremendous, uh, tremendous bouncing pass. Got a lot of time for that Corey Burke fella. <laughs> um, so there was that was one. Uh, Toronto FC in 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 the other in the other a, a CCL match that took place yesterday as we record. Uh, Toronto FC came to Cruz Azul needing at least three goals, um, and the goal that Brian Angulo Angulo hits is both a devastating chip, like he's got the ball about 40 yards out and he just thinks what if I have a go at Bono I feel like I can get him and he gets him and it's like it fundamentally doesn't affect the fact that like Toronto still needs the same amount of goals to win but it's just like but it's just like you thought you had a you thought you had game here yeah you thought you you thought you had a game plan and we've we've just embarrassed you like this yep I mean 
as good as Toronto has been and I think will be again. I don't think anyone was really ever like, oh, this is their year for CONCACAF. I think it's a pretty decent run given, um, you know, a, a brand new coach. And Cruz Azul is a great team. I, I think we could dissect all kinds of things about Toronto's performance. But to me, this one's a pretty open and shut of just there's a massive gulf in quality between the two clubs. And that's okay. Despite the fact that uh, um, as as CF Montreal president Kelvin Gilmore noted that they were the reigning champions of Canada. Um, despite the, although they were not in the tournament at all, it was a very trollish no way. I it, guess it sure. was a it was a very trollish thing for them to say. Um, but you know, Toronto did get a win against the Mexican side in Leon, and those don't come along, those don't come around that often for Canada. No, um, absolutely. So uh, so so you got to say that the um, that the the tournament was was a decent run out for them, but you know, like you say, not a not a. Uh, a contender, a contender. Um, you have in Portland, both Columbus and Portland's first legs, which took place after we were talking last week, involved mm-hmm. great, um, you know, great play again against Mexican teams that often um, can can make MLS teams sides look overmatched. Um, but in both cases, uh, or no, in, in Columbus's case, they held the lead. At one point, after after conceding, they they came out to a two one lead and and ended up conceding in stoppage time um, to Monterey, which, as we are talking, has uh, just uh, dumped him by three goals at home. So that is not going to happen for Columbus. Um, not so much. Portland, it was the other way around. I think they got their uh, they got their goal in, in injury time. Yeah, um, that first leg was uh, two PKs decided it. Um, first one just before stoppage in the first half <laughs> was Club America. And then second half stoppage, Portland levels it. And I see that literally just a couple of moments ago as we record, Club America has scored. So they're up 1-0 against Portland. Well, we'll uh, we'll check in with that later to see how that went. We'll this is your live, yeah. your live updates. And we'll uh, we'll check in with the Portland Timbers as well when we talk about the league games. But well, why don't we? Why don't you know? We're that, that exhausts our 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 brief um, journey to the Concacaf quarterfinals. What do you? Uh, what say we? What say we go there now? Let's take a little trip over to MLS land, shall we? Yes. So uh, uh, so Portland. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I would say like. I don't know if you felt this, but I felt like week three, like week one was good. Week two was exciting. Week three was like a, oh, okay, more soccer. Let's do this. And some of the games just didn't quite land for me um, this week, but there were some interesting results. But let's, do you want to start with Portland? Let's start with Portland. So last week we were talking about Dallas and I think I was probably a little bit heavier handed in my remarks than you. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Um, but one of the questions we've been asking about Dallas from last year through until now is just, you know, where's the response? Like we see the roster build really heavy towards speed, but like, do they actually have all the pieces to make this come off? And then they get a really nice win over a struggling Portland and have four goals from four different players and seem to have uh, answered a good number of questions that ourselves and others have had about them oh yeah i think that there this was a obviously a great result for dallas and it it showed off great team play with that first 
Uh, that first goal with the passing, lots of lots of pretty triangles in that one. Mm-hmm. In the passing well, buildup, really, I think kind of highlighted. Yeah, I think a thing that has been missing from Dallas for the the last couple of matches, I think, is is they have looked kind of static in their shape, and they really are a pass and move team. So, I think. As we've seen, if teams can shut that down and and block those running channels, then then Dallas gets kind of socked in. But Portland were just so 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 open in this one, um, and really not putting much pressure on the ball at all at times. And so Dallas was able to play that pass and move game and just totally open them up. Um, on two minutes in, you know, the goal from minutes, Andres Ricardo. Two. Yeah, and it's and it's just as simple as Portland's just not tracking the arriving runner. You know, the the defense is holding a good flat line, uh, but the trouble with collapsing your line like that and not doing a little bit of man marking when you're that far back in your own end is that you've got Quarte <laughs> arriving, <laughs> who just is able to pick up this ball and lash it in, and it just looks like one you know the easiest goal, and like you know. That can happen in the early stages of games. We've seen a lot of early goals in MLS this season, but um, you know, then shortly after that, Felipe, the Dallas goalkeeper, just absolutely sends it down the pitch and finds um, Obreon, who scores. So it's like <laughs> ten min. I think it's within ten minutes. Portland is down two nil, and all of a sudden, a side, a Dallas side that could barely score in the previous two matches, is up two nil. Yeah, I mean you've got to you have to have I mean Portland didn't have the the same amount, you know, they they were able to get a win last week against Houston, but you know, they they had lost to Vancouver the week previous. Um and and this is not how you would this is not how you had would have charted this encounter. Um but you had those two this great not moves how that this caught was them supposed up. to go. <laughs> no. Um the the third goal was a corner for Bresson. Uh, in stoppage time, in first half stoppage time, uh, another game where that happened. And you had you had Portland with this, you know, this goal from Williamson makes you feel like, hmm, maybe there's a chance, which is then snuffed out. Yeah, it's such a weird scoreline when it's um, 3-0 and then the other team scores because all of a sudden you're like, oh, this could be respectable. <laughs> But it was not to be... It was a great goal from Williamson, um, and nice to see, like, a sign of life from the Portland Timbers. Um, but, of I course, like, Dallas was not done. <laughs> I like insisting that any lead is the most dangerous lead in soccer. Like, you hear that? You eight hear that? Eight nil is the most dangerous lead. <laughs> um, so, a great result um from Dallas and, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, that that one goal set up by Valeri is is their is their go to play, but I think there were also some there were some opportunities where they could have uh they could have got something out of it. But uh like they yeah, didn't look terrible it... but but it certainly wasn't great for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I mean I know it's it's kind of a, a tired cliche, but I feel like it does apply to Portland where they're just with CCL action as well. They're kind of just trying to do a little bit too much. Um, and I mean, it, I think we've seen this from the Sounders before we've seen it from the Timbers where they kind of have like a rocky start to the season and it takes a little bit to figure the system out. 
Um, and I don't think Savarese is afraid of dropping some points early on and to, to make those up later. But it's it's got to be kind of concerning that with CCL, um, I mean, I guess they they did draw that first game with America. But, like, you know, to, to have not won a game, I think that's weighing heavily on them. Oh, and, they, got, just... they got Houston. Didn't they beat Houston? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, right. Okay. So... It's not all bad for Portland, but I did feel like um, they're just kind of getting played off the pitch at the moment. Like, they just, they don't look quite in it, whether it's a focus thing, whether it's, you know, adapting to a slightly new system or slightly different players. But it does feel like, you know, as much as they want to feed everything through um, Diego Valeri, that that's becoming something that they can rely a, a little less on is the the only way or the main way that they get goals. Well, their uh, their next encounter coming up is against Seattle at Providence Park, so they better figure it out first, uh, <laughs> quick, because Seattle handed you we you had discussed the the idea that um, LA Galaxy was the only remaining MLS team to have won uh, to have won all of its games. That streak did not continue into week three as Seattle uh, knocked him for a loop three nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we talked about how this was a, a big test for the Galaxy. To you know, it's it's exciting when you've got a new coach and every your star player is firing on all cylinders, and there's there's so much hype. But of course, we know it's MLS, and eventually you're going to lose. And usually, that eventually begins with the Seattle Sounders. So I felt like it was a big test for the Galaxy, but kind of more like a temperature check for the Sounders. Like, uh-huh. it was this was a pretty open and shut one for them. Um, not to say that it was easy or to take anything away from the fact that the Sounders were able to put three goals past them. Um, you know, but I, overall, I felt like Galaxy played okay in this one. It's just like, I mean, you give a guy like Rui Diaz any time in space at all, and he's going to find a way to score. So, you know, this the first op- the the opening goal is uh, Brad Smith gets past Fisher on the wing. I don't know who the other sounder is, but there's a defender in the box, and Rui Diaz just like is coming in, running with the defender. The defend all the defenders are looking over at Brad Smith, and Rui Diaz just stops his run and hangs back, at the- <laughs> and. The ball comes in and it just nails it past them. And it, it's such a a simple move. It's the type of like striker off the ball play that, you know, earns you the big bucks. But there seems to be an awful lot of like you don't need all four defenders looking in the direction that the ball is. <laughs> like it's good to know where it is, but you gotta be able to multitask and see things coming in. And as soon as Rui Diaz drops off like that, you're just like, you know he's gonna hit that. We talked to He's always going to try to hit it. <laughs> we talk about, we obviously like, you know, it's something that we talk about when MLS teams are in international play, but the, the process of reviewing highlights really exacerbates how many crosses are whipped in from the wings and, and, and how, um, how useful a strategy that is in MLS in terms of, in terms of people like Raul Rui Diaz not being picked up in the box because of that because of that focus on overloading the the striker, yeah, or the ball I mean, carrier. It, and and in many ways too, this is kind of what 
LA Galaxy, the game they've been trying to perfect with Chicharito standing in the middle um, with some success as well. I will say that, like, this is one of those ones where the, the result looks bad. I do think it's a big test for the Galaxy, then I don't think they passed that test. However, I thought that they played pretty well against the Sounders. And oh, yeah. The, the Rui Diaz goals, it, it is so hard to defend against that type of attacking play. Like, yes, Rui Diaz drops his run on that, that first goal, but, like, there, there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's a split second. Like, the time between him hanging out and the ball getting to him is maybe three seconds. And so, as frustrating as I'm sure it is for LA Galaxy fans to, to think they could have gone here and maybe, like scraped out a point it's just so hard to defend against this style of of play because as we see like seattle likes to send in bodies and that initial attacking wave but you never really know where Rui diaz is gonna be except in a problem area (laughs) (laughs) um but and and unfortunately three minutes after this first goal a similar play happens this time the Galaxy are able to deal with the first ball, but then Brad Smith is there and just pokes it home. Brad Smith plays in himself. Yeah. <laughs> with the, he catches the cross from rolled on and then, uh, and then his shot is saved. My way of saying that, my notes, is Smith is alone and then remains alone <laughs> when the ball falls for him. <laughs> yeah. And so all of a sudden, it's 2-0. I thought, you know, the Galaxy did okay um, trying to play in behind Seattle's high line. They got a few chances coming through, as you said. Um, you know, Chicharito nearly had one, but knew who was able to deal with it. I think this is one of those ones where you go, LA Galaxy had probably the right approach and the right game plan, and Seattle Sounders played better than them. Yeah. I, I think if you're Greg Vanny, you still see a lot of positives for your Galaxy side and go, all right, so we're not best in the West yet. But we also, we played a respectable game of soccer against a giant in MLS that's really good at scoring goals. So (laughs) where we, I I agree with that. I mean, if you look at those first two weeks, right, it's slugfests against teams that don't have the, the most sophisticated, you know, defense in the entire world. It's, you know, these, these two, three, these two, three slugfests in, in that gives your team when you have that, you know, lack of, I'm not going to say lack, or lack of defense, but you can, you, you both, you know, give your own team a lift and you get the other team to, uh, to, to play more open and play out when you have a game that's like that. Seattle is not going to do that for you. <laughs> Seattle is not going no. to just, just loosen up so that you can hit them for one and two, one or two and make it interesting. No, exactly. So. Yeah, I thought overall Galaxy did okay. Um, definitely room for improvement. I mean, the final goal for Seattle is just a clever ball in behind. Galaxy are already chasing. They already have to be pressing to try to get something out of it. So Rui Diaz makes it 3-0. Three, three so it really is kind of like you get these two early goals, and then Galaxy defend pretty well for much of the game, get a few chances themselves, and then at the end, Seattle hits them again. So with that view of things... <laughs> I think Galaxy did okay. Um, I thought that... Uh, um, is it... I had Madronda on my card. Is it Jimmy Madronda? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, the 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 setup on that third goal. Um, mm. Former Ur- he, like he- who I think of as a, a sporting Kansas City legend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he kind of like starts his run, beats his man, and then just decides, all right, I'm going for it. <laughs> uh, I also appreciated that Kellen Rowe hit a header that somehow hit the crossbar and the post and went out. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely some crossbar action going on <sighs> in this one. I, I also liked it at the, the, at least in the highlights at the end, you had the the, the brief Kurt the brief Kurt handshake between Greg Vanny and Brian Schmetzer with no words exchanged other than yep mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the game of soccer that we played um let's let's talk about some of the the let's talk about your favorite game of the weekend because I'm excited to hear what you have to say about Montreal Columbus. I thought I was actually going to get to pick a real favorite. Uh, (laughs) Uh, This game was like it was being played in quicksand, except it was 90 degree heat in Fort Lauderdale at noon. Is that the Uh, surface on Drive Pink Stadium? (laughs) I think so. This game is perhaps one of the most boring MLS games I've seen in a very long time. Um, and, And truly, like, if... I'm not using hyperbole. Like, if you haven't seen... Just go look up the highlights. And, I mean, I promise you there was even less happening in the game. But this game really felt like... And I watched a good portion of it because I thought something might happen. <laughs> both both sides spending most of their time standing completely still, kicking the ball to each other, making some half-hearted passes. And then once they were in the final third, maybe one or two people would go for, like, a 10-meter sprint fire the ball aimlessly there's a couple of shots on goal but this one was like watching paint dry however (laughs) can i well first of all what your reaction to this this fine uh classico match i have little i have little to add except you know there was a nice (laughs) nice a nice chance for eric hurtado uh i had thought i was unclear about the playing status of lassie lapaline and um I thought that perhaps his loan had ended, so I was excited to see him in the lineup um, as a substitute. And also, I'm going to say it. I don't know about the drama involved. I know there was some some inter-club drama in terms of the various Miami uh, groups about Miami building on the, the former Lockhart Stadium ground. Drive Pink mm-hmm. Stadium looks bad. Like, it doesn't yeah. look appealing on television and it doesn't look fun to play at. And I assume in that heat, it's probably not fun to watch at watch at <laughs> to be there. You mean? Yeah. Miami. Okay. Oh, I said play. I was like, play at. And then I was like, watch it. Oh no. Uh, but Miami fans, if, if I'm wrong and it's the wonderful, it's the wonderful time, then correct me. But I just, it doesn't, it doesn't seem great. Hmm. Lapline got his so. loan extended in 2020. No, in I mean, November I'll 2020. So I guess I'm just incorrect. But um, what is your? Oh, please tell me. Please tell me your 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 big takeaway from this game. My big takeaway from this game was that part of the reason why this game sucked is because you had two sides that also <laughs> had Concacaf games in the coming week. 
And I think any time you have a game where it's so obvious both sides are totally okay with a point, what they, pl- they played like that. I mean, it was almost like an agreement of, like, nobody here is going to really push too hard because none of us have the gas in the tank to do it. And we'll probably just end up with a draw anyway. <laughs> well, Montreal, Montreal didn't. Montreal didn't, but Columbus right. did. I think I just saw Monterey's. Well, yeah, I would say I would certainly say that, especially from the Columbus side. As soon as you said that, I was like, "Yeah, wait." (laughs) Okay, well, that theory that theory is massively out the window. But I would agree with that. But I mean, like, certainly, if you're Columbus, you're thinking about it, and like, in general, it's just a lack of the lack of fitness, you know, as. As we continue to to work work through these uh, these er, couple first couple yeah of seasons. absolutely I mean I I thought Columbus had a couple of chances I thought Montreal had more chances but they weren't necessarily better so a true like everything kind of canceled each other out I think they're both totally fine with a point um, I don't know that they play each other again this season but I'm sure they do um, but yeah the uh... less said about that game the better. <laughs> So I might have trolled you by mentioning it, so please feel free to tell me about a game you actually liked. Um, okay, a game I actually liked was uh, a team that we talked about that's been struggling. Another team that's just been a bit of a head-scratcher for us in terms of their direction is Real Salt Lake. And I was feeling pretty down on them, and I didn't really pay attention to their game against Sporting Kansas City because I just assumed SKC would come in and destroy them. But was not mm-hmm. to be. Big, big statement win from RSL. Um, in this game, it felt like the early fortunes did favor Sporting Kansas City through an early Polito goal. Um, where RSL wow, was he's just, good, huh? He's real good. <laughs> I mean, they're just caught out. There's no one, again, <laughs> no one attracting the arriving run. But it, again, it's a great play. It's, it's hard to track, and that's why it's such an effective goal-scoring strategy. Um, but then, and he sets up himself, which I enjoy. <laughs> Polito only needs Polito to he, succeed. He starts the he starts the movement with a ball to Kyrie Shelton, who is the who is the one who, who sends it across and Busio dummies it tremendously. Yo, yeah, yeah, that's the the nice little step over he does. He just or he, I think he just du- like yeah, he dummies. He stops his run right before it and lets it go past him. Um, man, it's such a delight. And at that to point, Busio just <laughs> get better and better and better. And at that point, Sporting Kansas City, like like when you when you're executing a move, a maneuver of that uh, level of finesse, you think, "Wow, this team's really in control of this game." And yet, that was seemed to be they kind of used up their <laughs> all their gas to do that because then it's a pretty immediate response from RSL, uh, a long ball that just finds it out to the wing. Um, Sporting Kansas City now really collapsing their back line, dropping back. And no one closes down Brody, who is able to cross in to Demir Krylak, who, as we know, is nine feet tall and heads the ball easily home. <laughs> and it's like no sooner was were we, you know, chalking up on the board that Polito had just ripped RSL open, we got a tie game again. And then you had uh, uh, Krylak set up Rubio Rubin for the uh, the the first of two goals with that designation. Yeah. Yeah. Ruben's movement as well is, is just so phenomenal. Um, 
it's it's cool. It's always exciting too when you see a player come in and succeed, and you're like, I don't know anything about this guy. I gotta go look him up. Um, he's a, yeah, he's able to get a really tight shot off. He is getting closed down. I thought, um, you know, Sporting Kansas City, as you would expect, got a little bit more defensively minded, but it was just kind of too little, too late. Um, oh right, I did. I looked this up. Um, Ruben played with San Diego Loyal last season and is 25, so great oh. age for a striker. And then he's got four Kansas City defenders all standing around him, and he manages to beat all of them to make it 3-1. In that third one, he has so much time. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's the kind of thing where you think, like, oh, I mean, Peter Vermees doesn't look happy when they win, but I don't think he was happy with this performance. This felt pretty anemic from Sporting Kansas City. I mean... RSL gets back in fine, but at that point to just, it just feels like they drop off and really start to give RSL way too much time and space and, and kind of respect on the ball. And and I just kept thinking like sporting Kansas city is better than this. Like they can play really well. I don't get why they're just dropping back and not trying to press more and why they're, they're continually getting caught out so much, but credit to real salt Lake. I, I think that, you know, much like us, Sporting Kansas City probably thought they they had this one, and RSL <laughs> decided that things would be different. Um, I think that maybe yeah. you you described the the feeling of this week being a little off, and I think that the part of it is weeks games like this one, and it's not the only one I think of the cycle where um, in the, and I would describe Montreal Columbus as this as well, of being ones where a team that you thought was in decent form all of a sudden turns up really flat, which happens, Mm -hmm. but it feels like, you know, it's a, we're, we're especially inconsistent form wise of teams as they, uh, as they get their engines roaring, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as always, it's the early season, it's chill soccer, like, you know, don't need to ring any alarm bells just yet. We still have to, we still have to, to, to use chill soccer. You're absolutely right. I was going to say that Philadelphia NYC was one that was like that for me as well, where it was like, you know, you have, you have Philadelphia who just, you know, played, um, who just held it down tremendously against Atlanta mm-hmm. or who would go on to hold it on tremendously against Atlanta. Another team, as you point out, that there is perhaps thinking ahead to its midweek fixture. Um, and they just get beaten at home pretty convincingly by New York city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I thought this was a, a great game too. Um, it was interesting. I was listening to John Champion and Taylor Twelman call this match, and which is always interesting. Um, but they were sort of talking about the point of of how how much this New York City FC side has changed, and kind of like to not, as we've all done with them, kind of you know been like, yeah, they're really really good, and then they're going to get to the playoffs and crash out. Like they're they're really really good to a point but still beatable. And this game really, really felt like a a turning of a page of sorts for New York City FC. I don't think it's all there. Um, I think they could definitely still use some some shoring up of their players. But, you know, as, as many players as they've lost, I feel like they've brought in really good additions. And you want to talk about pass and move? Like... 
<sighs> this this was a game where they they were just they seemed to be everywhere they needed to be and and really really caused Philadelphia a lot of problems. Absolutely. You have uh, Medina with a, with another little slick give and go. Mm-hmm. Um, playing it off to uh, number three, who I need to find out who that is on my sheet. Uh, he sends it back to him to open things. Then you have this red card. Castellanos fighting with Jose Martinez, catches an elbow to the head while falling. Yeah. Uh, it almost feels, not that he pulls himself down, but it but it kind of feels like he's instigating the movement that, that results in the tower coming down. Mm-hmm. And he, obviously, he doesn't want to catch an elbow in the head. But I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't intentional. Yeah. Uh, on the on the part of Jose Martinez, I'm sure he didn't embark out to hit Castellanos in the head. But you still can't do it. If, you're, if your elbow, if your elbow contacts Noggin, I don't think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of wiggle room for that. Well, there used to not be. And then I felt like last season we kind of you know, backslid a bit into the the gray area territory where we were sort of, it seemed like intent mattered more. And now we're kind of back to like, just doesn't matter how or why you hit. It's unfortunate, but I don't feel like, you know, it really, I don't want to say it didn't affect the way Philadelphia played, but it didn't feel like Philadelphia was in it before that. And it really didn't feel like they were in it afterwards. So... <laughs> The most dangerous lead was not uh, the one where you're down 2-0 and you have a player sent off. That is true. Well, it was one until Tata Castellanos then himself gets the goal. Yep. And, uh, you know, he catches an air ball. It's Glasnes. Glasnes is, is, is a ball has popped up and he's sitting there waiting to chest it down. And then he chests it down and he's sitting in front of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but the dangerous striker. Yeah. Um, elsewhere in the league, I thought um, a really interesting game was San Jose versus DC. DC yeah. United um, struggling, but looking a little bit better this season. Um, they had one win and one loss, and you felt like maybe they could get something out of San Jose, and San Jose said, no way, Jose! Not a chance! Not a chance. Not this? Not if Kid Cade Cowell has anything to say about it with two assists and a goal. Not a two, not Wow! A He's been so good so far. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just, they really couldn't seem to deal with San Jose at all. Um, it's interesting. I put here the reaction from DC United as Lopez scores this first goal seems to dictate their whole game. Just utter shock across their faces. Like, just, well, but we didn't... Okay, so part of the game plan was to not let San Jose score in, like, the first 10 minutes. Um, first minute! Yeah, first well, minute! Yeah, first first minute, 60 right. seconds! Yeah, we hadn't even ticked <laughs> over into minute one, and this goal came through. Um... Which is not a bad game plan from San Jose, I must say. It felt like something that, like, oh, they were definitely trying to do that. Like, <laughs> they thought they could catch DC sleeping right off the kickoff, and they did. Um, <laughs> my next note for this game is Briant chasing Cade Cowell <laughs> before Cade Cowell scores is also a big mood. Um, <laughs> a, few, a few visuals to this game that really felt like they summed things up. Just shock and awe dc they get this weird little chaos goal but that's really sort of it from them 
um, San Jose control, oh, yeah. controlled the match. They just looked more fit, um, much more aware of their game plan. Um, I wanted to shout out uh, Moses Naaman's tracking Moreno's run. And Moreno's just about to pull a shot off, and Naaman just throws out a leg to deny him and cut out the shot, which was a, a beautiful um, defensive <laughs> play. It could have, that was it. That was a that was a definitely a big moment. Yeah, could have could have ch- changed things up a bit. I mean, I thought San Jose did really well in this game. I mean, DC did not play well, but um, full credit to San Jose for really having their day of it. And San Jose continues to be like they either lose or they will score four or five goals. Um, <laughs> Cade Cowell, Cade Cowell, who who here was also named Player of the Week. Um, and nice. I don't, yeah, it's I, you know, he played a little bit last season. He played 17 games last season, 466 minutes in that. So not the most, I don't think four starts out of those 17 appearances. Um, so certainly on the fringes, mm-hmm. but he has played a big part in a lot of these, um, positive performances mm-hmm. from San Jose. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know that this game really changed how I rate san jose this season or dc this season um but just it felt like a really important win for san jose um of course still early days and still prone to giving up some goals but you know they're respectably sitting third in the west or second in the west rather um may i also say you know an eight goals eight goals four which is tied with seattle like not bad not bad may i also say jackson you Oh, yeah. That <laughs> just, last goal. Just fires and, home. Just fires home a, a, an amazing uh, ball while falling on his plant leg. Like, his plant leg is slipping out from underneath him. On yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and that's the thing where it's hard to rate this game is like, what does this tell us about the teams? Because it's like, well, if you're going to score, score a goal like that, it kind of negates whoever you're playing. Like, it doesn't really matter which defense is in front of that ball balls going in <laughs> so uh great game from san jose that was great to see dc yeah i still think that they gotta work some of those kinks out but i don't see this as like you know totally dire days for them just yet the biggest thing for them just continues to be the lack of goal scoring threat yeah, they're, they're a good team defensively they're organized um maybe not as much in this game but the question just remains: Who's going to score those goals for them? The um, the thing, I, I definitely agree with you about D, uh, DC. It's not like they're displaying um, Cincinnati levels of calamity. And speaking of Cincinnati Ooh. levels of calamity, <laughs> did they win? No, no, they didn't. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as last last week's um, five nothing route. Uh, but Orlando made uh, pretty pretty simple work of them. Nick Haglund passes back, but Tesho Akindeli gets there first and fires home um, before another tremendous goal from Nani. Oh, yeah. Yeah. M- Nani really makes everyone look stupid in that, <laughs> that move. I mean, it's like... He, it's like there's the turn and shoot goal, and then there's the turn three different ways and then shoot goal. But it's just like, 
It's just completely unstoppable. But, importantly, the build-up play to this, it's another giveaway. And it's just this whole game, and it feels like every single game we see with Cincinnati, no matter who comes in and what number is on the back of the shirt, they're just getting muscled off the ball time and time again. It's just easy giveaways that most teams have a counterattacking mode that they can shift into, and Orlando exploits it with devastating effect. I mean, Nani's going to do what Nani's going to do, and he's going to score that kind of goal. But, again, it's the build-up play. It's a giveaway. It's a completely dead situation. It's a situation where Cincinnati actually has the ball and then gives it away and is picking the ball out of the back of their net (laughs) seconds later. Was that um, not given to Nani? Was it? Give- oh, oh! I'm just I'm looking at the score sheet. Listening. They don't call him Nani on the score sheet. They call him uh, the number of times I've done that now with. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, this is Hernandez, kid. They keep crediting. Like, come on, pick do up you, the pace here, Nick. Do, um, the the third goal comes as they uh, Orlando has it at their feet, but Junior Orso finds it. Um, I I definitely agree that they they're they give away Cincinnati give away too much and they haven't uh, really showcased some of their hopeful new transformed qualities. Um, no, but you had what you had here was just Orlando trying to 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 run to run rampant as the lines will. Yeah, and credit to them for doing that. I mean, I th- I think they pulled it off with pretty devastating effect. You know, Brenner had a, a half chance for Cincinnati, but I, I put in the notes, I was like, I'm not sure Cincinnati actually got off the plane for this match. Um, it, and it's, I know that there's a lot of things that can cause it, and I, I don't like wildly speculating, but like something has to give with Cincinnati to make somebody on the pitch care. You know, and I, I, I know that players are, are trying and players are not trying to lose, but it just looks so easy through through the first three matches we've seen with Cincinnati. There's brief little moments um, and flashes of brilliance, but it really feels like again they've fallen into the trap of making a couple of big signings and hoping that that's going to change their fortunes. I, I think they've moved on some of the players that were really not succeeding, but. You know, a defender of Haglund's quality and experience to make this misplay, like, it's a mistake, and I don't want to pick on one defender's mistake, but every single time Cincinnati gives up a goal, it feels, there's a mistake like this, where it's just, it it just seems to be they're always digging their own hole. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't mean to be super down on it, because I would love to give Cincinnati fans something to feel optimistic about, but their team is bad. And no, and there doesn't seem to be any clear vision of how to make the players on the field like stand up for themselves a little bit more, play with a little bit more pride and, and confidence. Um, it it just it's kind of like depressing. <laughs> it's depressing to watch. Speaking of a club that is uh, is staking their recovery on a few key signings, Vancouver hosted Colorado in Rio Tinto Stadium. You know, yeah, okay, just if, if Cincinnati fans are like, yeah, of course, just crap all over their, our team, that's easy. Well, come <laughs> crap all over mine, because I, I, think, I think I tweeted this. Maybe I just thought it, but the, my evergreen thought with Vancouver versus the Rapids is we always just seem to make it so hard for ourselves to beat them. And 
How did Deborah uh, catch the back pass and have so much time to to get a shot away and still not get past not get past it past Wilson? Yeah, it just it just seemed to be one of those Vancouver games where you know th- there was lots of momentum going forward and and opportunities at times but then just kept fizzling out. It was it was like nobody had really discussed what the second phase of play was. It was like, all right, we got it up. We're in their end. What? Um, okay, we'll pass it back. <laughs> I want to... I, I, I'm trying to be not, like, too negative because all in all, it wasn't the worst game, but it has that feeling like, you know, it was a one nothing game based on, you know, Diego Rubio's divine intervention. Yep. With that tremendous free kick, and and they they held that well, you know there wasn't that they were had a huge amount of defensive profligacy. Um, people will people will point to the fact that they had a, a goal disallowed on VAR. Um, perhaps perhaps some Toledo Baldomero Toledo uh, magic, but then again, I you know. When you think about Toledo Magic, we could have had Cavallini sent off, yeah, in the first half as well, and it went the opposite direction. Um, and it was a far call that I I was like, okay, like that's obviously not great, but you're like, ah, eh, but I can also see it, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. if if that's going, if that call is being made the other way, um. I definitely want that waved off. So. Toledo Toledo calls a penalty over two guys are are Alessandre and uh, and somebody is are are contesting for the ball off the play and and Alessandre is pulled over and, and the 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 ball didn't go near them, but that was mm-hmm. the that was the thought process behind that uh, behind the initial penalty call, which was then rescinded via bar. Yeah, and I mean, and it, it, I when it, the first call was made i was like well that's fortuitous because i didn't think they were going to call it so that's my only litmus test of like is it a fair call is i initially thought like "Eh, we see that happen in mls like that's not they're not going to give a penalty for that so yeah it's it sucks but i don't think that vancouver deserved much out of this one but you make a good point which is that vancouver like okay they didn't play very well but they didn't play terribly and in the end, Colorado didn't play all that well. They just had this amazing free kick goal from Diego Rubio that, again, like, doesn't matter who the opponent is. It's a perfectly worked free kick and around a wall to curve it into the top corner. It's a, good, it's a great goal. So Colorado won this game fair and square. For me, the more uh, urgent thing is just the aimlessness of the Whitecaps attack in this one. Yeah. To see so little movement from the midfield um and and just so static i thought we defended well i thought our midfield defended well as well but just a a real lack of creativity and you know as much as i like having an out and out striker like cavallini he's got a bit of a lead foot and is really more of a brute force striker than a finely finessed striker well you gotta serve to it they're they're expecting yeah. him to create to he's to to cook for himself. Yeah, and he's not that kind of player. And which again is like it doesn't matter the price tag of the striker, as we've seen with LA. Like you need players that can support that. We've and we've seen it work 
at times. I just don't... I don't see a scenario where the pieces that we have and the the play through to Cavallini and just trying to get things off of set pieces equals a devastating product. It's sort of like, well, that that yeah, that might win us a good number of games and get us into, like, fifth or sixth place, maybe. But that's it. Like, we don't have other tools in our toolkit <laughs> to get us there. And that that, I think, was the thing for me, is at a certain point, it really felt like, well, this game is just done. There's not even anybody you can really pull off the bench that's going to make a huge influence. And ironically, the kids that came off the bench actually re-injected some life into the Whitecaps and maybe had I our best f- chances after that. So, I gotta say though, I, you may have a different you may have a different opinion to me. I think that that some of the reason why there was this negative feeling or 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 doomer feeling. Um, following the 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 game is this this again feeling like you said the the aimlessness not that players aren't trying but it's like the path it's not that there is consistent pressure and and i understand that we want to see you know the we want to see young players like 17 year old cameron abibula get to get onto the pitch mm-hmm. but but when you do. have but i kind of you you want to see them get time in games but when you have somebody like to St. Ricketts sitting on the bench and you're like, like, like it felt the mood of bringing that player on at a time like this, when instead of a, an experienced player who wants to, who presumably like, you know, wants to have the, to, to, to seize a profile for himself in Ricketts, mm-hmm. you bring him on at 89, you bring him, you bring Happy Bula on the 89th minute, you're losing by one goal. That's a move you do when you're losing when you're when you're up or when you're losing by multiple goals. So, is well, the... no, and Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm saying is it feels like at, that move is sort of like, well, the game is gone. Like I feel like DeSantos is kind of throwing in the white towel. I know he, he's never going to admit that, but to to essentially play players for debut minutes um it, it yeah, it felt like far more a Hail Mary than like a, a a game plan per se. And that's what's frustrating because the, cause the team in some ways, it, especially in the later teams, it's not, you know, they they had that offensive move that almost resulted in the penalty kick on the 80th minute. But it's like it's like a 1-0 lead to the Whitecaps sometimes. It, it feels like to them it may as well be a three-goal lead. Or a one-goal deficit may as well be a three-goal deficit in terms of the likelihood of, of, of the Cavs' belief that they can get it, they can get out of that hole. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, too, it's like I'm not even that upset about the subs because it, the subs helped. <laughs> you know, like Ryan Raposo came on, and I thought his movement was great. Um, uh, yeah, I thought overall the performances were good and injected some life back into the Whitecaps, but it was uh, it it didn't feel like it really changed the the other players on the pitch and and their approach to things, and it just it kind of felt like okay, Nerwinski struggled a, a a bit in this game for sure. Gaspar comes in and I thought struggled more and got caught out of position uh, a ton. And granted, he's getting acclimatized to the league, and that that's totally fine. 
but it was sort of one of those things where it's like, wait, aren't subs supposed to be better than what they're replacing? Like, and that's this a, just you're it felt like right. a okay, Nerwinski's coming off because he's not doing what we need to do. Let's send in Gaspar, and it was like, well, that now we've just lost the positioning of Jake Nerwinski. Like, sure, he got caught out a couple of times, but at least he was near where he was supposed to be. <laughs> that makes sense, and 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 you're right. Like, this my point there is not about Happy Bula, who I thought was okay, mm-hmm. um, but it was just it. It felt like the approach, the, making that move at that time felt like a laid-back thing to do. And and I think if that... If anything... That, that, I, think I, that, think you... I think that carried through to the play on the pitch, too. Mm. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? I forget. <laughs> I don't think it was much of a counterpoint. Uh, you know, and I really, we got Rapids fans that listen to us, so I don't want to be too down on Colorado, because I, I <laughs> oh, don't yeah. think, I think it's well established that we both like the Colorado Rapids and think that they're um, an underrated team, but I don't think anybody's going to say that this was a great Colorado performance or something that felt like, at the beginning, okay, this is going to be an easy three points. They just seem to have our number sometimes, and, and it's like... Uh. No matter what happens, we can't win, and we make it super hard for ourselves. This was much less that. Like, I'm glad we didn't give up any bad goals um, and defensively held our own through much of the match, but just it was just the non-response from the players on the pitch to get something going forward. Flashes of brilliance from Alessandra, uh, Alessandre and um, from Caicedo. Like, it was moments, moments, but... Um, just not a, a very complete performance. And I mean, we've, <laughs> we've often stood up for Russell Tybert. I know people find his back passes frustrating. I argue that at least it holds on to some <laughs> ball possession for us. But this is a game that I, I, you're screaming out for it. You're like, Russell Tybert's at the point in his career where he needs to be improving and, and not just being out there to, to hold the ball and to, you know, keep possession. Maybe that's what he's being asked to do, so maybe that's not fair. But I, th- I think that, you know, Russell Tybert contributes so much in other ways that that's kind of, he's been able to, like, level off some of the criticisms against his lack of attacking prowess. But as a modern midfielder, he's got to get more involved in the play. And he's the most experienced white cap on the field. Like, often he's captaining. Like, get your team moving like get the creative juices flowing i mean you've been back passing for the entire game make a run carry that ball up the pitch and and pull people out of position always easier said than done but i felt pretty disappointed by this one uh you mentioned colorado fans and i'm just looking through my hands at like march simpson at people at people saying we need to be able to get more against a team like the vancouver whitecaps (laughs) you're you're not wrong don't look at me (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like Colorado, they were like, wait a second, I think we could probably just come in and, like, beat the And we're like, shit, I don't think they'd realize that before. They That was true always, but now they know it. Um, you had uh, another 1-0. Um, Austin visited Minnesota. We heard again that big, beautiful honk, but uh, but it was, again, the visitors who got the best of it. Um you had a really nice run from Reynoso that hit the crossbar, um, mm-hmm. but you had that. But it was the goal. It was the 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 ball in from Stroud that 
went all the way through to Fagundes on the break for the uh, the game's lone goal. Yeah. Yeah, and disappointing for Minnesota. Uh, maybe not dire for them. Because um, at least they limited the damage after Fagundes scores. You know? We can say that much. Um, chill soccer, chill soccer. Chill soccer. They had their chances... I don't see the attacking game plan. It just I don't see what it is exactly they're trying to do. Um, and it often seems like they're not all sure of what the plan is either. And, like, I think that they need some, some attacking support. I don't... I'm not fully on board with all the, the signings and the current lineup. I, I don't see where this gets tremendously better. I obviously... At the beginning of the season, I thought it would play out differently. Um, yeah, not terrible from Minnesota, but they it really felt like they kind of needed to win this one and come out against an expansion side and get something finally. Um, but man, what a pickup Diego Fagundes was for Austin, <laughs> the former New England man. Um, overall, it's like Minnesota just seems kind of toothless right now. Like they're not a bad side defensively pretty solid. Again, they hung on for the rest of this match and got a couple of opportunities. Reynoso's brilliant, but outside of some marauding Reynoso runs, it, it just, it all feels toothless. In the, in, in, in injury time, you had Redes for, uh, for Atlanta have a, uh, a very dangerous looking. He hits the he hits the post, and then it pops over to the other side, and they have their one more chance. And who's almost the goal scoring hero for for Minnesota to get the equalizer? Dane St. Clair is in the area, but he, but his hack comes to naught. Comes to naught. Yeah, I thought Brad Stuver for Austin had a great game in goal, um, and just Austin's defense in general. Um, we don't often get to say that about expansion sides, but it seems to be a new theme with Nashville last year that, like, pretty rock solid at the back. They're showing, you know, they're showing their ability to, to both score goals and also hold on and, and, and ride it out for the away win. Um, New York Red Bulls at home beat Chicago 2-0. Two, uh, two um, Fabio involved in everything, it seems. Fabio involved in everything. Yeah, it's a good way to summarize this one. <laughs> was this was this an organized Red Bull side? Is that what I saw with my eyes? Yeah, I think so. I think that you had. I think that you had uh, uh, players players making passes to other players, knowing what player was going to be on the end of it, as opposed to sort of whipping it in and. As much well, as we love some best. Red Bulls chaos, this was like <laughs> this one was. They came in with the game plan and executed. Um, I thought they, yeah, they looked really compact at times. Great fluidity of play. Some it was like, oh, what do I want to say? Twenty fifteen Red Bulls, twenty sixteen Red Bulls. Like the actual movement on and off the ball was great to see. Um, I felt like most of the first half they're kind of trading chances back and forth. Um, and then the Red Bulls just start spraying balls across the box to see if they can get someone on the end of it. Um, and it's a defensive blunder by Chicago early in the second half. The Red Bulls can't capitalize initially, but then Caceres arrives at the top of the box, picks up the cross from who else? Fabio. Um, who's just waiting and holding and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting with the ball, waiting for the arriving run, waiting some more, grabs a coffee, comes back, checks the ball <laughs> still there, waiting, gets it. 
Chicago's just, you know, man and ball watching. One Bob, nothing. Fabio sends it to the train station and Casares arrives right on time. <laughs> Makes that late train arriving. <laughs> um, and then it was another defensive give over from Chicago. Caden Clark this time finishes with uh, the chaos uh, with a really, really nice volley. Um, and I just, I don't know how you feel about this one. I, I feel like Chicago has done done themselves proud this season so far and, and looked like a very different side and looked for just much more exciting. But they just need to be alive defensively in this kind of game. Um, they just collapse and are so so flat and when you've got the red bulls doing what they do creating chaos in the box um i i get that you need to be pretty compact but you flatten the line so much and again you need your midfielders to come back and and pick up those runners coming in and provide some support there and it just feels like a, a really big ask for those defenders <laughs> when you've got waves and waves of red bulls coming in and attacking and spraying crosses into the box as well. Like um, I thought Chicago did an okay job at clearing some of those, but um, yeah, it was just kind of, it was all sort of flat from Chicago for me. We discussed earlier in the show that obviously um, Gabriel Heinze was not in a good mood, um, but uh, perhaps he, 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 he came into the midweek and not in a good move due to the uh, the two one loss to New England. Yeah. You, you one PK per one PK each. Um, Brandon buys initial goal. The the seemingly the decisive marker between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't really get the. I think it was the. Sec- oh yeah, the second PK call because uh, I, I sort of went. I kind of felt like this game got handed to New England a little bit, but they didn't win, so it wasn't really handed to them. But I felt like he's oh, they outside did, the yeah. box. I felt like he was outside the box when he gets fouled and falls in, but far ruled otherwise. Um, my only other thought here is I, I'm yes, I am cooling on my evaluation of Atlanta a little bit from my initial forecast of Atlanta being terrifyingly good this season. I mean, for me, what part of Atlanta's early success was their ability to control large stretches of games. And unfortunately, all the players, when you think about the the players that were able to do that, they're all gone. They're all gone. (laughs) And so it's not that Atlanta (laughs) haven't brought in good players, but we haven't seen them you know, really put their stamp on a stretch of games and and hold on and, and attack with the same ferocity and relentless relentlessness that that made them so good. Um I feel like it just they continue to kinda lack an identity and I mean that's such a vague word, but I guess what I mean is like they just don't seem to feel that confident because in order to to dictate play you, you have to have that confidence and whether it's confidence in themselves, each other, the system, the coach, whatever, it, it just looks all a bit kind of like tentative from them. You know? And that's what, that's what, that's what characterized, I think, um, like the best version of Atlanta that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Houston versus LAFC, a one, one draw. 
very, very much, I think, a game where the, both sides showed what they can do well. And, uh, and, and you know, per, perhaps the first chapter of something that will conclude later on in the campaign. Aruti mm-hmm. um, had a great chance. He was on the far post and had a kick that floats through, fast, floats past the face of goal, um, but out the far side. Um, but it's, uh, Latif Blessing who comes across the area to Corey Baird at the far post. Um, this is a, they're wondering, is this offside VAR approves? And, uh, and the equalizer comes from Tyler Pasher. Yeah. Who gets the, uh, the ball in from Fafa Picot. Yeah. It was a good, good point for Houston, I think, um, LAFC played okay. Um, I felt like this was a very fair result. <laughs> like this, the soccer gods just agreed they'd give each, give each team a point. Um, Rudy looks, you know, as good at Houston as he's looked anywhere in his career, um, causing lots of problems for defenders. Just seems to fit Houston's system a little better. I thought he looked okay at times in Montreal, but never seemed to quite settle into that that system. But looks very, very at home you know, charging forward, swapping wings, et cetera, with Houston. Um, I thought one of the themes that kind of emerged through this week with a number of sides, some more dramatically or lack of dramatically better than others, but it's just teams kind of feeling each other out a little bit, like just not an overall tentative approach from both sides to, to be like, well, I don't want to risk it all here. Like, yes, every game is a final and also like, it's Houston LAFC. We'll play again. Like, it's hot out. Let's let's see what we can do. Um, I mean, it's a great. It's really great from LAFC on that goal. But oh man, like just as defenders and as an entire back line to stop running, plant both feet and raise your arm and look to the referee to be calling it offside. Like, we know, <laughs> we know that the referee has to keep his flag down until the last possible minute. So fucking react. Like, don't stand there. Raising your arm is not a play. (laughs) It's a cop-out. The linesman's there. He's watching the same thing you are, but has a different angle. Please pay attention to the person with the ball, not with the flag. Um... Atuesta throws his body on the line at one point and sort of crumples himself, um... And Corona... But not before the ball finds Pico, who picks out Pasher. Great goal for the the tying goal for the Canadian for Indy Eleven, making uh, who, who signed from Indy Eleven in the uh, in twenty twenty and is is uh, has been racking them up so far this year with uh, with a goal in yeah, a goal in three a goal and assist in three games. I guess um, you're another game. I feel. And I think the last one on our, our our docket for this week, where where teams were feeling themselves out, were the was the Nashville Miami one. Uh, not a lot going teams on. Teams that, that were feeling themselves out found sounds like a different activity. Each other, each other. Well, you know, <laughs> in the in the in the in the privacy of a soccer soccer specific stadium. Yeah. Yeah. This one not 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 the most exciting match either. Um, brother e- brothers Iguain were away um, 
to to support their family. I believe their mother passed away um, oh, last no, week, that's so that's awful. unfortunate. And obviously, um, got to go take care of that. I don't know. And I'm, I'm not saying that as like, and that's re- the reason why Miami didn't do well. Just as like a notable point about the game and the lineups. Um, I thought I thought Nashville played very conservatively in this game, um, and were very happy to just kind of like nail down their defensive system. I thought Miami held their own. Not a lot in this one. No. Um, elsewhere, you know, in our in the in the news of the week, um, NWSL concluded its strange uh, investigation into the Sarah Gordon mess in Houston. Where she claimed that um, she said that a, a a security guard threatened to arrest her boyfriend and herself, I think, after they um, after they went to go talk after a game, despite the fact that other white players were doing that with uh, uh, their players and Sarah Gordon was black. Um, this draw this drew a huge reaction. NWSL didn't it didn't took three days to say where. We're not going to talk until our investigation is concluded. They find two people involved in management in the league who did talk about it. They're, you know, more than, I want to say about two, more than a week, I want to say two weeks later, uh, they announced, you know, in the middle of an afternoon, we have concluded our investigation. We are taking no action. We will have no further comment per our policy that says that we don't do it. (laughs) Hey. Hey, guess what? We're going to do nothing, and we're not going to talk about it. We've already said too much. Goodbye. Real, real slick approach, guys. Awesome. Glad Terrible. glad we're here for Terrible. meaning, quote-unquote, meaningful change. There's no way that you can – it really hurts your your credibility, I think, to, to as, a, as a league that's trying to deal with that sort of stuff. And NWSL has absolutely tried to cruise on that reputation. Yeah. Through 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 what happened last year at the Challenge Cup, um, you you have to you can't. Houston was the the Dash were so quickly maligned for their statement where they said, "Oh well, we were trying to to enforce COVID protocols." Where it seems that it seems that you enforce them inconsistently. I don't know what was in the investigation. But if the investigation said, if you if you did your investigation, it just said, well, that security officer was doing their job, and we refused to think look at any <laughs> systemic yeah. reasons as to why why whether or not that was applied, you know, done. We we don't know the answers to any of those questions because they're not being shared, and, and they need to to convince us that they're taking this seriously. They need to be able to share more. And the way power holds on to power and keeps things not changing is by tackling the wrong issue and looking purely at like the symptomatic thing because then again and again and again as we've seen with many other things you can say but in this instance this person was just doing their job and like that that is not the question that people are asking (laughs) the question is not did this person enforce covid protocols or not like do you want to actually talk about what matters which is that systems create moments where people act in certain ways and that's the issue but like power holds on to power by 
pretending that there's a different issue at hand and be like, but we are not a racist organization. So that wouldn't happen. <laughs> Therefore, we're just talking about a security issue. And it's like, well, uh, oh, yeah, it's just it's just disappointing. Yeah. Um, the I missed in March, but, you know, why don't we? What, uh, but it's interesting to talk about um, that the uh, that Inter Miami and Inter Milan are in settlements over their their uh, their naming dispute. Oh, are they going to couples yeah. therapy? <laughs> like like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, <laughs> they're gonna wow. they're gonna sit aside from really? each other and be like, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they gave me that. The people of Milan gave me that shield. Um, the. Uh, it kind of looked like Miami was not going to be on the winning side of that. So if they can make a deal, that's probably the best uh, for the best um, uh, item from Stam Se- Sam Stetchkel in the Athletic about two very MLS deals. When when Toronto signed Yepes and Saltado, um, apparently they had to the part of the six million dollar uh, fee that they US fee that they paid was uh, to pay part of his last transfer fee, which. Santos had not yet paid to Huachipato. Oh, that's what that was about. Which, yes, it's thought of that that is potentially why they why they had to sell when they were were where they weren't looking at selling earlier. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, because Saltado has just turned twenty four, there is this you know young money, young designated player rule that said that if you had. Um, if you had one of your three DPs was under 23, that you could have three other young DPs. Well, Saltado is 24, so um, Toronto now does not have that. It will get only one additional young designated player. But they're pretty much set up anyway, so. Yeah, um, feels like. I'm sure they. Feels like this is not going to be the uh, last player coming into MLS from Brazil this year. Toronto signed Kamar Lawrence. Uh, who uh, had left from the Red Bulls to Anderlecht and now comes back and was made a free agent after the last CBA that was uh, mm. that was approved, but somehow not a free agent, is Manny Perez, the 22-year-old former U.S. Youth International, who um, is said to uh, pass on Generation Adidas to sign with, with uh, Celtic, according to Stan Stetschkel. Um couldn't get a work permit because he's not involved with the men's national team and somehow ended up on allocation on re-entry and was signed by Portland, a club who were interested, but did not so interested. They wanted to put him in the first team. Uh, so they signed him and loaned him to Austin who wanted him, but not badly enough to use their number one spot in the allocation order. <laughs> Business is weird. <laughs> Why? Why does it have to be so complicated? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you really do, like, you feel for players that get caught in the middle of all that stuff, where it's like, I just want to be wanted. I just want to play he somewhere. Didn't he didn't get, like, this is the one thing I understand, like, I understand that they're they're trying to do their best, but when you look at the, the competitive issue with that, like, a player holds, a player doesn't stand for the draft, mm-hmm. you know, says, I don't want to be involved in your training program, I'm not joining your league. I'm going to go to to go uh, forge my own path. Probably see some hit, some development hit in terms of you know being frozen out of the system a little bit. We've 
we have seen these things happen in the past. I don't know if this is the case in the situation. Um, but, you know, ch- chooses to go it alone and then comes back and says, oh, we we still own, we still have already allocated your rights. Right. You still can't choose where you sign, despite the fact that you, you, uh, you refuse to participate in any of the, the methods by which we allocate these things. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it, it feels very limiting at times. Um, but here we are. Daryl, Daryl DK. Um, is staying with Barnsley uh, through to the the playoffs after Orlando, according to Julie Poe, Julia Poe of the Orlando Sentinel, um, wanted him, uh, you know, started to notice, you know, we're not scoring that many goals. <laughs> well, not until this week, I mm-hmm. guess. But it's like, you know, uh, we're not, you know, we were never, they were never paying for him. Mm-hmm. You know, they, were, they weren't getting paid by Barnsley. No. And they were like, well, They're just not paying I mean, I for Daryl DK's salary at the moment. So it was like, hey, uh, we need him back. And the the loan was supposed to go to the end of May. But they're like, we can recall him in, on May 4th, by, starting May 4th. And we're going to, unless you give us any money. And <laughs> to a certain extent, it kind of feels like, you know, you made a deal and, and they really wanted that deal to happen. and But it seems that they have been able to reach a uh, an agreement. They made a statement saying that he will remain as long as uh, Barnsley remain in the the football league championship, the EFL championship playoffs. Right. So um, feels like probably more like a, a like short not a, like a rental rather than a loan, where it's like, all right, now we're going to pay you some late fees, but we're going to hang on to this for a little bit longer. Olivia Moultrie, a 15-year-old who plays for the, the Portland Thorns Academy, is suing the NWSL to get them to resign their no signings under 18 rule, hmm. saying that if she was in, if she was a male player, she would already get to be in the MLS, which is that's fair. pretty true. You know, Vancouver, Vancouver, Vancouver would have. You know, do you think of when Alfonso Davies started? Yep. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that uh, that lawsuit goes. The um, and also the uh, a the the final note that I have here, the new laws of the game, mm-hmm. the the changes to the laws of the game, which have have taken effect that that happened at the uh, happened during March, and uh, and and come into effect immediately. So here's some, uh, as per Athletics, Christina Uncle. Here's some here's some here's some uh, indications of what have changed. Uh, in our in our newest set of the laws of the Hit game. Hit me with it. I love rules. Um, handballs now give consideration to whether contact is, quote, not a consequence of or justifiably by the player's body movement. So we're trying to... We're, <laughs> oh, the, that's clear as much. Over, overall, we're trying to... We're trying to, according to um, Uncle, we're, we're, we're trying to... Um, we're trying to loosen up on some of those things that have created so much of an issue in the Premier League, right? Um, in terms of, in terms of, we're trying to allow a little bit, you know, where in the twenty in the last set of rules of the game that we were under, where it's like there was no ability to um, to judge intent. We're now trying to judge a little intent to say, you know, and I think that this is how people, most people, look at handball when they look at it when they're trying to judge this natural body position you yeah. know the 
which is you don't fine. I you mean, don't have as, to be tucked in. As with in, all rule changes, natural. yeah. As with all rule changes, though, it's like you're changing it in the hope that it's going to play out well on the field, but it still feels like that's just adding ambiguity. That then a human in a game has to try to determine intent. Um, so while I don't hate the rule amendment, it is also like I don't know that that's going to make things better, but. Cool. Uh, accidental attacker handball does not call off a goal if it's in the buildup. So if you have a, if you have a, if it bounces off somebody's hand, um, if it bounces off an attacker's hand, and you know you're not going to have a, somebody score a goal, then bar find out that actually a minute and a half previous, somebody right. on the other side scary. of the box had that head touch. If it's a handball of the. If it leads directly to a goal, or it's the, I, I think the interpretation is the goal scorer. Right. Yeah. yeah then, yeah. then they call that off, but they won't do it in the the build up. Um, five subs in three opportunities is staying for the year. Um, the concussion sub trial, which you may have heard about, is the is mm-hmm. is ongoing, which is is being tested in the states, which allows a team to get a concussion sub and. If a a player is having that issue, the other team gets an extra sub. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that I found interesting about this is they have an extra sub they could use. This also happens if the other team also gets a concussion sub. So you could have two additional subs on top of your five subs if a player from both teams got a concussion. You could have nine total subs. Your your. Your your five subs, your yeah. two concussion subs, and the other team's two concussion subs. And the right, two... Okay, right. So you could have – it would take a total of four concussions to get four substitutes for both sides. Yikes. But it would – you can't – like it, once you've maxed out at two concussion subs, you don't get more concussion subs. You get four. Four, you, each, you, for each team? Yeah, so you could – if you – so you have your concussion sub, Right. And then the other team gets a even up concussion sub that they can use. By my reading of what was being said here, um, if you get your, um, you you get both your two concussion subs, plus and, two from the other side, and the two even up con- concussion subs, which right. kind of seems strange to me. If you're doing it for fairness' sake, yeah. Then, then if you if each side uses two concussion subs, that seems to to justify it. But you may not, you know. I guess you may be the situation where where well, it did have to be a pretty specific scenario for that to all play out. But knowing you, MLS, it'll happen next week. You get your even up sub. You get your even up sub. So you say, "Oh, great! I'm going to bring somebody on," and then there is a concussion, and then you have to use it. I, mean, um, I think also at that point, like you're scraping the reserves on the bench. You know, like yeah. Apparently, hey, offside. Brad, is, who holds towels? Do you want to play? Apparently, offside is now going to start at the end of the armpit. So we're not what going to be. What does that even mean? That's such so an existential dilemma. Where's the or, end of my armpit? Where's the beginning? So, so, so essentially, the end of the arm, aka the armpit, is what was used in this article to describe it. So, so essentially, you're not going to have one of those photo finish offsides where we see that somebody's elbow is behind the best defender. Right. So we say that they're offside. You, right. it'll be it'll be the end of the arm is where we start to judge whether or not a player is offside. Okay. Mm. Um, which I think is good. And finally, calling back to one of our our favorite playoff games, 
yellow cards as as in the previous set of laws of the game, which were not ever used in MLS because MLS started with two years ago's laws of the game last season and did not change midstream. So they ended with the 2019, uh, they ended with the 2019, 2020 laws of the game. instead of the 2020, laws of the game. So in the playoffs, yellow cards do not carry over to penalty kicks for the purposes of ascending off and encroachment gets a warning first. Sorry, Pedro Galese. <laughs> the the goalkeeper who came off his line during a shootout and then got sent off with that automatic yellow, automatic second, or the automatic yellow that was the second yellow. Yeah. Uh, well, sure. I don't know if any of all of that adds clarity, but it is different. <laughs> and in MLS, we support that. New is good. <laughs> I think that, you know, hopefully we're... I've always felt this about handball that you, that you, people are, people yell at VAR, but it's the rules. So if you want it to, if you want the rules to be one way, you've got to play this game, I guess, year over year where you tug it a little bit, you, you pull the blanket a little bit more in one direction and then it comes off the other side of the bed. So you go on to the other side of the bed and you <laughs> pull the blanket back over. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, we all know how I feel about penalties. The less said, the said by me, the better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that you love saving them. I love saving a penalty. Um, haven't done it a lot, but that's maybe why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> love is rare. <laughs> well, until, until the next time you save a penalty, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, saving tweets. Um, at That's So MLS. And you can find this podcast at That's So MLS.com on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you find podcasts. Where can we find you online? You can find it also That's So MLS podcast on Facebook. Feel free to find us yeah. there and, and, uh, and give us a like. Uh, you can find me online at Twitter, w, uh, on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Absolutely. Oh, and please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Like, most importantly out of that is just, like, subscribe. So you keep listening. And thanks for your support. Until we speak next, don't get sent off.